0: hello hello welcome back to big fat five a podcast financially supported by big fat snare drum this week we have returning champion madden class on the show to dissect the top five drumming moments that she digested that shaped her playing style currently a student at berkeley madden also plays with ravi and the houseplants space junk is forever mike Doty, weedus and a newer band called mages and many more she was one of the last guests before we switched over to this newer format, and I've wanted to get her back on ever since. Her first episode was a very interesting deep dive into her theories on technique and practicing, so go check that out. It's chock full of a lot of great advice from both Madden herself and teachers that have helped her along the way. I'm seriously having such a good time with these interviews and finding drummers that have really changed my own plane. So thanks for coming on this journey with me, and enjoy my fruitful conversation with Madden Class. Madden Class <laughs> So how would you you say that playing with slip-on Adidas sandals has really helped you develop your style as well?
1: I have thrown that out the window. I don't know. I, like, came down here one day, and I was like, I think I came down in my vans, and I was like, wow, this feels a lot better than (laughs) my sandals. I'm just so lazy, like, I literally wear them all day, all freaking day.
0: I have the same ones. Just they're not. They don't have the white stripes or white stripes. It's just the black. But right, they are comfy. They
1: are really comfy. I don't like wearing shoes around the house, but I do have sneakers nearby, and I put them on always when I play. But I've gotten great response about both. I don't know why people are paying attention to my my footwear so much, but they like the Adidas and they like the Vans. So it's a win win.
0: Yeah, it just, you're, there was a, a recent one you did where you were doing kind of a double base between your right oh, hand and your... And I was
1: wearing the and Adidas.
0: And you were wearing the sandals. And I was like, damn it, Madden's like better than me with oversized sandals. Because mine, the, the ones I like, I, I like them to be kind of oversized and comfy and whatever. Mm-hmm. Then with I have like a theoretical V-ratum shoe on, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, there's no question there. I'm just saying it frustrated me. So thanks for that.
1: That's just me being like the laziest person ever, honestly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so I you have updated your website since we last talked and speaking of space junk forever the website looks great
1: you've seen Um, the space junk website
0: no no the uh your website which speaking of space junk earlier one of the songs lovely lonely five is one of your songs you play on there yes and I noticed that you didn't hit the wing nut like you did in the ludwig uh, live stream which is good yes yeah but yeah so how did that come about it was it it was a minor showcase simple video where'd you record that
1: are you talking about the most recent, like, really pro-looking Lovely Lonely video that was done? Or the one where I hit the wingnut?
0: Not the one where you hit okay, the wing nut. Okay. I'm sorry. I was just having fun with that one. But, uh, yeah, the one that's more of, like, the blue oh, shade. Yeah. The one that's on your website. Like, those performances. I've only seen the two that are on the website, but they sound great. Right, right. I'm assuming they were Meinal-backed. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I had the opportunity to be flown out to Nashville. Uh, Chris Brewer, we've been talking for a while about doing that and we just thought it was the right time to make it happen you know like i feel like during september october things were slowing down a little bit and everyone was feeling generally better about the state of the world and then it got pretty bad again but that was like a very relaxed period where i felt comfortable going out to travel and do that and it was like oh my god it was one of the best days I've had it was such a great experience and it was just so easy you know mm-hmm. I just walked into the studio everybody was like such a pleasure um the video crew the engineer assistant engineers Chris like it was it was a really good team that was there that day and I think they did such an amazing job that video looks really beautiful like the, it the sounds background great too. yeah yeah it sounds Incredible! So I'm very happy we got to do that and make that happen in 2020 of all years.
0: You used a big fat snare drum uh, XL, so thank oh, you for yes, that.
1: yes, of course. That is so essential. You know what's funny? I asked for an 18-inch floor tom because every minor video I watched – Every like every single player had two floor toms. So I was like, oh well I have to use two floor toms. Now yeah, like
0: it's legal now, yeah. Yeah,
1: like how could I not? I, I would just feel I would feel naked without it. So yeah. I was like, Yeah, I'll I'll have like a ten, twelve, sixteen, eighteen. And then I get to the studio and they were like, you know, I don't think we've ever had a drummer use an eighteen inch floor tom. I was like, Huh? What do you mean? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. yeah, everybody uses fourteen and sixteen. I was like, Oh God. What did I set myself up for? Because I've never used an 18 either. And it was such... See?
0: Such... You tried to be other people and you, you fell on your face. I
1: know. It was like the most monstrous thing. It was fun, but it was gigantic. But
0: It's kind of a funny thing you you bring that up because me and Gunnar Olsen always had this ongoing debate where I, I like 14-inch floor toms, but mm-hmm. he... He's a great, you know, he can tune drums like a madman, but he says that he just can never get a 14-inch floor tom to sound like he wants to. Interesting. And so, I, yeah, he never gets it, and it's always this kind of back and forth. So I might actually buy a 14-inch floor tom for his birthday. You just got to throw like on a donut. Them.
1: It'll sound <laughs> incredible. That's the answer.
0: And thanks for being the show, Matt. Yeah, that's all we needed you later. from you. So.
1: <laughs> no, seriously, it has helped me so much. It's like a part of my sound now.
0: I am really happy because I remember last time you kept name dropping a lot of people because you're a lot cooler than me and I didn't know them. But I was like, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, Franco. Uh, but um, I actually know four of the five other drummers you said. So oh, nice. I feel like I can hang today. Oh, my
1: God. I'm so curious to know which one it is. This could be like a, a game show. I have to guess which one you don't know.
0: <laughs> well, it's definitely not the first one. Oh, yeah. Uh, that would be a little embarrassing for me. But, uh, um, well, the the one I didn't know, I did go down a rabbit hole of... Um, they're playing uh, last night so i do know them now but number one is gonna be elon rubin yes. at the 2011 guitar center drum off mm-hmm. and uh about minute 39 so i'm gonna play it right now i'll start a little bit before that but that's kind of when he comes in yeah. but i'll just play for when the uh kind of starts his little drum machine and then we'll get going cool sake of my own ego so there that is
1: I have watched that solo many many times I think it's like if you ever ask me what my favorite drum solo is that is the one that comes to mind first so when you hit me up about this once I figured out what we were doing (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) uh, that is the first person I thought of for sure
0: um, did you know about Elon before? Because you know I'm going to bring up Paramore eventually with this. Did you know about him before you were into Paramore? Or was he the kind of the conduit to – or they were they the conduit to him?
1: Yeah. So when I first got into Paramore, um, I was in eighth grade. I remember so clear. It was my 13th birthday when I first heard Paramore. And I just – that was like – the end, there's Madden before 13 and Madden after 13. And that was the (laughs) the turning point. So
0: BP and yeah, APM. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So I listened to Paramore, like religiously for many, many years. I didn't look into who was on the records besides Paramore, of course, because I just wasn't that aware of those types of things. I was pretty young. Um, So I did not know about Elon Rubin. I just knew that the drums in this record were magical. It just did what needed to be done, and I didn't really think more about that. And then when I was 17, I was going to a festival in New York called, called Panorama, which is on Randall's Island. It was like my first festival ever, and I was going to see A Tribe Called Quest, and someone I knew, well, so it was A Tribe Called Quest and Nine Inch Nails, headlining, pretty crazy. So someone I knew, he was like, you have to get into Nine Inch Nails before you go to this. And he would like, show it to me. I'd be like, "Mm, it's just like, not my thing. Totally not my thing. So I go to this festival. I see a tribe called Quest. It's great. And um, now Nine Inch Nails is on. And I'm like, already dead for the day. Like, I'm super tired. I'm sitting up on the hill, just like observing the show. I'm not really engrossed in it. And then... They start playing March of the Pigs, that song in like 74. Oh, sure. And you just see Elon with his hair over his face, like slamming the kit and sounding as tight as could be. And I mm-hmm. swear it was like an out of body experience. I was like, like, reeled into the stage when that happened. And I went down, I left the people I was with, and I just kind of. Like, participated in the show now. I partook in it when I, I had no idea who Nine Snails once was. And it was one of my top show experiences, you know? It was just very pure. I didn't know what I was going into. I didn't know how it would make me feel. And it was, like, a very special experience. And, of course, after that, I went down the Elon Rubin rabbit hole. And he, like, immediately became my favorite player. He is just... An absolute musical powerhouse. It's not even like he's a rock drummer that hits hard and is a powerful drummer. It's like he sounds perfect for what he does. Any drummer on this planet could look at him and be like, he is a master. So Mm -hmm. that is my guy. Big inspiration. Yeah.
0: I mean, I know you just kind of said it's not about just his powerful drumming, but that, that solo specifically, what is it What that makes that one the best drum solo as opposed to other things he's done?
1: Right. Well, I think when you look up Elon Rubin, that's one of the first things that pops up. So, of course, mm-hmm. I saw it and I was like, holy crap, this dude sounds like it just feels right. Something about it feels so good. And it's actually a little bit further after you stopped it. He starts going. Of course. Of... <laughs> But of course, he starts going into uh, like groove writing on the spot, and I've actually taken some of those grooves and tried to put it into my own music without directly stealing from him, because it is just, the beats are, they just feel amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just very uh, different approach. It's like a classic approach to rock drumming, but in a very refined and musical way, Um yeah, I just really love that solo. I also love that it's like the classic rock solo where you play four measures and then you hit the crash and then you have a new idea and then you hit the crash. It's very structured and I feel like we don't get that a lot anymore. It's seen as like an amateur form, but sure. it doesn't have to be, you know? If that's how you roll, if that's, if that's how you're gonna sound the way you sound, then go for that, you know? I don't think mm-hmm. a lot of people do that anymore.
0: Well, let me actually, I'm going to play it again, and I'll let it go from where I stopped, essentially. Yeah, yeah. To the part that I... He starts I, uh... going
1: into these really sick beats. and he pulls it into those heavy grooves. That's a mm-hmm. song right there. That should be, yeah. that should be a, a song. He's just full of material. It's awesome.
0: And I know I haven't seen, at least I'll just admit, I haven't seen it a lot on your page. Do you experiment with open-handed technique, or is that something you haven't really dove into yet?
1: I used to when I was younger. Um, a close friend of mine, he's my age, and we've been playing together since we were in like fourth grade. He's also like a super amazing jazz musician. And I always Mm. thought he was way better than me. And he played open-handed. So I was like, oh, I guess I need to play open-handed. So like, but he's lefty. So that makes sense. But when I was younger, I would try and mess with it. And sometimes if my hand is hurting, like if I have a long session, I might switch to some form of open-handed or at least Mm -hmm. hitting the backbeat with my right hand instead of my left to give it a break. But... That's about it. I don't do it very much.
0: Was Was Zach Farrow, Now you know. Once you actually more did more research on Paramore, mm-hmm. do you still look at him as a huge inspiration, or is it mainly the record that that um, like I think it was the self titled yeah. one that Elon was on? Yeah, yeah.
1: self titled is definitely my Paramore record. Everybody has their mm. Paramore record that they cherish and they say is the absolute best. For me, yeah. it's always been self titled. But yeah, you go back to like. All We Know Is Falling. Is that the name of the first record?
0: I Know Misery Business was the first one that I Oh, heard. yeah, that's right. Um, well, yeah, Well, the one yeah, sorry. with the
1: red couch. Um, yeah, that is ridiculous because I think Zach was either, like, 11 or 13. And he yes. sounds just as musical and supports the song and plays with such confidence for that age. That is just stupid to me. So... He has definitely influenced my playing as well, for sure. That's great. Yeah.
0: All right, number two, I do know this guy. Uh, I sometimes butcher his name, John Stainier.
1: That's what I say, but I'm not sure. I think that's what it is.
0: All right, John, I'm sorry if I butchered your name. You have a really cool last name that I think it's cool when people don't know how to say your name. Hey, like, people
1: have butchered my name.
0: Really? Yeah. How do they say it? Kloss. Okay, well, my name's uh, Hilsinger, Hilsinger and everyone, it feels better to say Helsinger. That's, whenever people miss, miss uh, type my name, miss say it, that's like 60% of the time they assume it's an E, which is, It happens. I guess that's fine too. Yeah, yeah. All right. So John Stainier from Battles. Yes. Uh, I have seen these guys live. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel sorry for any snare drum that is put in front of him. That's right. But, uh,
1: <laughs> hey, you want to know something so, cool? Yeah. Can't see it from here, but I have uh, a Battles floor Tom head. Back there, signed.
0: So it is. It is over your left shoulder. I yeah. was going to ask about that before we hopped on, but there it is. Um, that was Is it a 14 inch or a 16 inch?
1: Uh, it's a 16. I okay. Hope, I think. I think it's a 16. I don't. Think
0: uh, well, let's a just play the song Futura, Futura. Yeah. Um, from Gloss Drop from 2011, yep. and you said to start around 57.
1: Yeah, keeping the 2011 theme strong.
0: I did notice that. Yes. beats that you hear it and you're like oh yeah let me just sit behind the kid and just play that and you sit down and you have to like hear it three or four more times before you actually figure out what he's doing it's it's deceivingly easy totally. or deceivingly hard i don't know how that phrase is it's harder than it sounds absolutely That's what I'm to say.
1: yeah <laughs> what he is such a weird player that is such a weird it's one of the weirdest bands i've ever heard and it works so well like that you hear that guitar loop nothing changes mm-hmm. about that loop except you hear the synth is starting to enter uh and he provides all the variation that's not typical for a drummer you know the drummer's supposed to hold it down but he's going nuts on the hi-hat and he sounds he's playing like a producer he's like what will emotionally fit this moment best and that's not being stagnant that's like mm-hmm being very weird and surprising with where I place my notes and my accents and I am like really into that sound and I think that's similar to like Stuart Copeland as well messing with those accents but John does it in a much more like broken up way
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it's like his backbeat remains the same but some other element is going to be constantly changing and I just love the way he sounds
0: he does it in a way too that still still feels um, trancey. Like mm-hmm. he's not switching it up to the point where a non musical drummer could be like, I can't bob my head to this. He oh, still he, he respects not. the groove, but it's just enough that people that are in the know are like, oh, he's switching it up quite a bit and oh, yeah. bringing stuff in and taking it out.
1: Yeah, it's glitchy. He makes mm. it feel glitchy, cause that's what serves the sound of this band. But that backbeat is as tight as ever. You know. And he's not always doing stuff like that. Like sometimes he just sits sinks into the groove and he lays back, but this one has a really interesting forward urgency to it and I just think he's so cool. I saw them in December of twenty nineteen and he's got his hi hat like above his head and his cymbal, uh, high as can be, and he is sweating after ten seconds. Like he is just a (laughs) madman. So so cool. Yeah.
0: I did want to talk about that his symbol because obviously, well, I won't say obviously, but if people don't know John, he's known for having one symbol that is basically as high as you can possibly be. Like if you stand up, you probably still can't reach yeah. it uh, without you know straining yourself. And his purpose is that it's so out of the way that he wants every time he hits that to be deliberate, and it has to be there because I think any drummer would admit that we all have a tendency to you know listen back and like I didn't need to put a crash there didn't need to put a crash there or there I did not know um, that
1: that is that's why he does that that is the coolest thing I've ever heard wow
0: well there you go yeah that's that that's why I mean it's because it looks ridiculous I mean it's such a such a I I don't want to say shtick because he's explained why he does it but Uh it's such a cool thing you can look at um, a bunch of you know records anything live it's it's just as far up there as possible yeah like
1: you look at it head on and you're like he can't hit that he's gonna,
0: yeah.
1: I would like to see him miss it. I've never seen him yeah. miss that dang thing. Like,
0: I would love to see his doctor just like, stop coming in, talking about your rotator cuff. I see your damn videos, oh by the God. way, John, you know, John, um, <laughs> uh, when it comes to ergonomics, uh, since you said you hadn't realized that till just now, mm. do you have anything that you set up about your playing in a similar way? That's like, it's kind of over there because I want it to be a choice.
1: Honestly, that would be no. I try and get everything as close to me as possible because I don't want to struggle when I do make the choice. Because I'm like a really small person, so if something is not close to me, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to hit it. You know. But mm-hmm. I change my setup a lot, uh, and I only use what is necessary for the time. If something's there, I'm not gonna use it like crazy. But it might inspire me differently. It might have me have me make different choices, but I don't find that it it makes me like unresponsible with my choices, you know, having everything sure. very close. But I that is such a cool way to discipline yourself. That is so awesome.
0: <laughs> Did you ever get in the helmet, by the way? Which is yeah. his band. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think it's in the first two records. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it's it's not it's different it's a different style than than Battles, but uh it yeah. definitely is him powerful they mess with time signature in a cool way a lot of the songs start off with drum intros because john's amazing yeah um the so check out helmet as well yeah too.
1: the lead singer of weed is so into helmet when i showed him the band turn style um i love that band that's like a hardcore band from baltimore he was like no you gotta go to helmet because they were what year were they from like late 80s or 90s
0: yeah, I think the two records that John was on uh, were like 91, 93. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, they, they've been around for, for a hot minute. Yeah,
1: that's a very different sound for him. Yes. I think, yeah.
0: Um, before we go to the next one, I do want to say, or I want to ask you, and I, I, I'm curious if the next two are the reason why I think this. I think I know your answer. What is your favorite part of the drum set for you to express your uniqueness if there, if there was an element that you're like, this is what I spend the most time on to kind of like say something different within a song.
1: Ooh, that is so interesting. Maybe the ride cymbal. I tend okay. to be as colorful as possible with the ride cymbal, which is, and the hi-hat. Just depends on what part of the song we're at. But yeah, that is where I can find myself being the most intentful with my playing because If the snare's gonna be there, it's gotta be there, you know. But Mm -hmm. I could build my groove with the hi hat going from like soft to loud in a very small amount of time, or adding some weird offbeat accent, or throwing in different uh, like note rates. And similarly with the ride cymbal. Obviously, I've only got really my right hand to work with, but I can make lots of choices going from the bell um, and just throwing in different weird. Accents, which I've totally stolen from Stuart Copeland. I'm really into that sound.
0: We're all guilty of well, it. I know. Yeah.
1: I mention him all the time. He has been a big inspiration the past few years.
0: I would love to get him on because he'd be someone yes. like, where the hell did you come from? You know.
1: Yeah, I actually, um, this is funny, I played a show in L.A., two years ago now almost exactly two years ago and i stepped off the stage and i see this like tall dude and he's got you know like gray hair and glasses and he kind of looks like stuart copeland and i was like hey this is a weird question but are you stuart copeland he was like no but you know that's something stuart copeland might say and i was like okay bye i was i really got off the stage i didn't go Backstage, I got off the stage to ask this guy if he was. You just Stuart. drop
0: your symbols and just walk towards him.
1: Exactly, he was standing right next to me, so I was like looking at him a lot, and he was just like, "No, but that might be something Stuart Copeland says, so you never know." Do
0: you still, when you you know, at those moments at night when it's all quiet, <laughs> do you think that was Stuart Copeland? Do you still have? Is there a tiny bit of you?
1: Small, very small part of me, but like. I was talking about it with everyone backstage. They were like, that wouldn't make sense. Like, he would try and get on the guest list or something or, like, contact Maybe us. Not, though. That was such a weird day. I also ran into J.D. Beck outside of the show, if you can believe that. Okay. J.D. Beck and Domi. And I was holding all this crap, like, all of my stuff, and I just, like, stopped them in their tracks. Like, they were going somewhere, and I was like... I know who you are, but you don't know me. And I think you're so awesome. And we just, they were like, oh, cool. That's that's awesome. Yeah, Stuart
0: Copeland just came to see my show. I wanted to know that I am important. I am,
1: yeah. exactly. <laughs> Crazy things will happen in L.A., yeah, I guess. Yeah,
0: JD, J.D. sat down at uh, our, our booth at Nam, mm-hmm. And it was one of the few times where anyone within 30 feet shut up. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, okay, what the hell is this kid doing? Yep. Um, he's doing so much in a little bit of time I have no idea what's going on but it was yeah it was it was really cool
1: I know he is incredible
0: Forks Drum Closet Nashville's full line drum store celebrating its 40th year in business Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City specializing in drums and percussion Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street, Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37210. Or go online at forksdrumcloset.com. All the information I just said is at forksdrumcloset.com. Um, all right, so the, my I, I thought you were going to say hi-hat, because I really think that you're nothing against your ride cymbal. Uh, it's great, great. But um, yeah, your hi-hat is just how I, I, you are very expressive on that. Oh, cool. A lot of drummers are, but um, for the next two choices, I thought that that might be your answer, because the, these guys have a lot of stuff to say on that. But yeah. number three is Perrin Moss. Yes. And this is the drummer, by the way, that I did not know. That's what know. I was going
1: to say. Yeah. yeah,
0: Perrin Moss from Hiatus Coyote. Um, and yeah, it's uh, you want me to play Sphinx Gate. Yeah. From the, is it Live in Revolt EP or Live in Revolt? Live I'm, th- I'm assuming in, it's li- Live. It is. Yeah. Live in Revolt EP. I mean, from- I don't
1: know. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I, so- I sounded so confident when I said that, but it is a live performance. So I would assume it's live. Whoa. underrated like everybody has so much respect for hiatus coyote but i don't think his name is tossed around enough he
0: i agree i didn't know him about him until i mean I, i've heard of the band it's one of those bands that i'm like oh i should know i've <laughs> a lot of people i respect have brought them up but i've never gone down a rabbit hole and i i am really excited to do that
1: yeah yeah he he was a very very big deal for me when I was like 16, seventeen, I think I discovered hiatus from like Spotify Discover Weekly, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my God, this is this is it." As for so many people, I know, that was like, "Where has this been all my life?" And it comes sure. it comes from so many influences that I just wasn't aware of, aware of. Like I didn't listen to much R&B when I was younger. And when I would show hiatus to other people, they were like, oh, well, you gotta know where they come from. It was like D'Angelo, Erica Badu. So I, yeah, they were like my entrance into that world and my entrance into Dilla, you know? Dilla beats and Mm -hmm. Dilla feel. I had no idea that was a thing until I heard hiatus. And I think I discovered them at the perfect time because I was just going to Berkeley Five Week, which is the camp that they have. And when I had discovered hiatus on my own, I was like, oh my God, nobody's gonna like this. Like, This has to be one of the weirdest things I've ever listened to. And they were gonna be playing in Boston that summer, but I was like, I'm not gonna get a ticket just yet. Like, Let me go to this summer camp, see if I make a friend who wants to come with me. And then I find out every single friend I made, they're like, what are you doing? We all have tickets. You don't have a ticket? I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and yeah. I, I go to find tickets, and of course it's like mega sold out. StubHub quadruple the price that it was. Um, mm. But my grandma helped me buy a ticket, which is very, very sweet, because... Gotta love Ma. Gotta love her. She was like, I want to help you go to your special band concert. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's... I need to go. Thank you. Uh, so... I got into them at the right time because that was what was hip when I got to Berkeley, Almost too hip to the point where everyone has completely burnt it out. You know? Yeah. Which is kind of sad, but they also haven't come out with any new music in a long time, so I get it. Like, you can only listen to this record so much. But, yeah, Perrin Moss, really big deal in just, like, expanding my vocabulary and discovering this other world of hip-hop and R&B and textures and sounds on the kit, you know? Of course, I started buying, like, you know, the tambourine to go on the hi-hat and, like, the little wooden shells. I don't even know what you call those.
0: Yeah, like the hooves or something. Hooves from, like, the goat hooves or something? Oh, yeah. I don't know.
1: And I would just break them. Like, they would be on my hi-hat, and I would just crack every single one. So that didn't, yeah. that didn't work out great. I, I was messing with all that stuff all over the kit i had a tambourine on my crash cymbal i had the hooves on the hi-hat and i went into one of my first sessions ever when i was 17 and the engineer actually like got mad at me he was like what is on your cymbals It's making so much noise. And it was so not good for the setting. Like, it was a pop-punk group, so I'm crashing all the time. And he was like, get that off right now. I was like, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, I know you mean, when you first get obsessed with something, you're just like, well, it has to go on everything. It has to be on It's like when you buy a, a, a new coat and you go to Cancun in July, you're like, I look so cool, but you're dying.
1: Exactly, totally. It became like a bit of an obsession, trying to figure out what made... Perrin Perrin and of course at Berkeley we're all trying to figure out how he makes that delay sound and Mm. for a while I thought it was just separating the kick from the hat like that's what everybody thought it was but that's just part of the sound really the foundation is quintuplets and I actually took a beat uh not a beat I'm sorry I took a a class with James Murphy called Delay Beats, where he goes into the entire scope of how you build off of that quintuplet feel and where it comes from, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, that was a a cool class.
0: I've never heard someone say that, because I know Brody Simpson, who's one of my favorite drummers, he's also a friend of the podcast, He's that's kind of what he's known for, is kind of his Dilla Beat kind of thing, and uh, he didn't describe it that way, maybe that's not how he thinks about it. um, How did he describe
1: it, I'm curious.
0: um he described it and brody i'm sorry i'm gonna butcher this um but it's basically he constitutes a groove is dynamics and then repeatability of dynamics and that's what a groove is and so he's just you know choose where it's going to be and then even if it's super off if it's repeated every single time you that's the groove and I don't think he broke it down in more of a subdivision thing, but that that's cool. That some people think mechanically, some people think a little more esoteric, so that's
1: definitely true. Like it isn't just one thing. That that Dilla feel could just be pushing the groove a little bit more than the band is, you know? Mm-hmm. That creates that similar sort of tension. It definitely doesn't have to be all about the quintuplets, but that is what James's class was about like. That was his science behind it. And that was also very helpful in terms of note placement and just like understanding where it comes from. And then you could stretch it or shrink it as much as you want and make it your own for the setting that you're in.
0: Well, and there's also, there's not just one kind of drummer. Cause right. some people could take Brody's uh, thing and that would just totally resonate with them. Or the more mechanical people, like, I, can you give me like numbers and I need to think about, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, when i was looking up perrin he has this video where he's just he seems like more of an artist to me because in his studio everything he sits on the ground it's like he has his drum set on a stool but yeah. everything else his computer his his sense everything he's on the ground I so know. i'm like oh that's a, that's an artist because oh, they yeah. don't like chairs for sure know? for
1: sure yeah he is <laughs> but i think they're from melbourne melbourne yeah melbourne so um, melbourne Yeah. yeah exactly he there's a video of him doing like a little interview and he said the, he also plays open handed I don't know if you saw that but the way he developed that was by only having a cajon mm. and a hi-hat it was either a cajon and a hi-hat or a cajon and a snare so he played bass drum with his right hand which only left his left hand available to do everything else so that's sort of yeah. where his style developed uh, and when I saw him live it was cool he had a snare drum and another snare drum as his as his, like, rack tom, replacing his rack tom. He just, w- were the
0: snares turned on?
1: I don't I don't remember. He probably did, like, a combination of both. But, mm-hmm. yeah, he just gets really interesting sounds.
0: Well, and in one of the videos, uh, in, in, in the same kind of realm of YouTube videos, he was um, kind of recording a beat, and he just played for, like, maybe six or seven bars. And it's funny. Obviously, I've seen live videos. He can definitely play but he was playing almost purposely weird and his bass drum was flaming to where maybe you'd be like, Oh, he's not a good drummer, but uh, I think he was purposely doing that. And then he would just take one little bar and then just loop that so that that weird feel that you were like, I don't know, becomes a good feel because Absolutely. it's repeated. Yeah. And uh, it was, yeah, it's, yeah, so it's really cool. Definitely going to Home.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: That's a, that's a good perspective for sure.
0: And he has been. I uh, will. He he was quoted by me saying, uh, "When a musician really knows their instrument, it's hard to be content with a really simple idea." And that's what he always grapples with because, on drums, he's the most proficient on that. But he was equating that to a new guitar or a new synth that he has no. Like he he relishes in that beginning stage because you don't know what not to play or what you could play. Yeah. And so it's hard as drummers, and there is a question in here, I think, but how do you grapple with the fact that you are extremely proficient on your instrument? And maybe when you're playing with, uh, you know, Ravi and the Houseplants, how do you take everything you know and then cut it down to a more indie, um, subdued, simpler concept?
1: Well, that's just me being like very, very involved in the music and not myself it's really mm-hmm. and all of it feels good no matter what is being played if it fits right in the song then it feels right for everybody for your band for yourself for your listeners uh, mm-hmm. so yeah it's just being a part of the the collective of sounds um, and paying attention to other people not to yourself focus on another element she lets me she lets me get weird though you know she doesn't restrain me much but yeah there are just so many examples of like amazing indie rock bands who do weird shit and play with weird textures or don't and just it's just whatever works you know
0: Grizzly Bear does a lot of cool stuff yeah um, it's pretty approachable pop music in a lot of ways but uh, I forget the drummer's name but yeah, I'm not sure there's a lot of fun stuff yeah, yeah.
1: their beats are so weird.
0: Mm-hmm. but then they also have some where it's just boot boot cat boot 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 cat you know Yeah. so yeah they know totally. but do you ever i was going to ask because i'm slowly getting into traditional grip and the reason why i tied it into to parent is because when i play traditional it's just when i want to do you know leave helm style grooves and it makes me play behind the beat so oh. aggressively and so that's why i do it but are there any things that you do that you know you can't do normally, but just do when you want to have a certain feel? Like, do you put your foot a different way? Do you set up your hi-hat differently because it forces you to do something different?
1: Hmm, I don't think that's something I've ever thought about before. Is there something that I do differently to get a different sound? Well, actually- Like
0: for me, also, oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say it's the the tuning of my kit mm. that'll be the thing that forces me into a new box you know mm-hmm. if my toms are tuned high i'm definitely gonna sound different than i've if i've got these like meaty punchy toms and for house plants a lot of the time i will throw like a big fat snare drum on there or i'll tune my snare a different way because the snare that i love that works for every other context doesn't work all the time for that group so i think tuning is what really puts me in a different headspace than anything else, not so mm-hmm. much positioning, I'd say. And also, yeah, yeah, similarly to tuning, like throwing moon gel on the cymbal or something. I love doing that and getting like a drier sound, mm-hmm. yeah. And it, it forces me to not play rim shots as well, that's a good point. If, my, if I put a big fat snare on or I tune my snare low, I am no longer playing rim shots and that is sometimes very important for the overall sound of a track.
0: All right, so the next one is Marco Miniman, and it's at the beginning of Bad Asteroid by the Aristocrats. Mm -hmm. I almost said Aristocats. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I'll just play it from the beginning. Thought we could just move on to the next one. He
1: really, what a guy. He's such a character. Um, yeah, I discovered them the beginning of Berkeley. I was playing, maybe it was a bit into Berkeley. I was playing with a good friend of mine named Matt Vinya, who is also the lead guitarist of Space Junk. And mm. he is like super into Guthrie Govan. Um, so we were auditioning for this, like, Guitar night at Berkeley, and he wanted us to play Erotic Cakes, which is a song by Guthrie Govan, and it's got Marco on drums. I'm pretty sure about that.
0: Mm. So,
1: of course, then I went into the rabbit hole, but that is like the best example of his playing that blows me away. Oh my God, those crispy hats and the bells. It's a lot of the playing, it's the way I would love to sound or just incorporate into my playing that tasteful busyness and all the colors he messes with and it's just sonically really pleasing to me and he's just so tight you know you there's Mm -hmm. no denying that he is an incredible incredible player
0: a thing from that beginning uh specifically that i kind of tied into you Mm -hmm. is your your dynamics on tom phil's You can go, you're still going fast, but you're finishing off the fill. But it's not just about subdivisions and timing. It's about really going, you know, telling a little bit of a story in the fill dynamically, uh, which I love about your playing. Oh, thank you.
1: I got that a lot from Dave Dicenzo. If you just Mm. watch him, that is his thing. You know, he's got the left hand that's popping out a bit more and then he quiets down. Then he comes back like the that is a really, really cool sound that I've tried to take from him a little bit and it just helps with like the flow around the kid. If you're not it is a great sound to be at one static volume, that is also an awesome sound, but it's not really how I sound and it might slow me down, so sometimes it's more fun to play with dynamics and Marco definitely hits that.
0: I was talking to Dimitri Fantini when he was on the show yes. and we were kind of playfully arguing about is dynamics kind of like a greater than less than dynamics versus timing and my consensus if i had a gun to my head would say that dynamics are more important than timing because if you have good dynamics you can kind of get away with
1: yeah it immediately becomes musical exactly yeah
0: um, and, and of course he's a drum teacher, yes. my, mostly by trade. So he was like, I can't go on record saying oh. that timing is, isn't important, but I think secretly he was like, I know what you mean. Um, but shout out to Dimitri. If you're listening, Big we love you. Big fan of bud.
1: Dimitri. He's a super nice guy and I'm really, really into his playing and his sounds. He gets such yes. crazy sounds in a studio. I'm like always trying to pick his brain and get his opinion on like what gear I need to have. And he's very willing to share his opinion, which is cool.
0: And while it doesn't work in every application for what I do, his cranked Gretsch snare, that Mm -hmm. hammered one that you see in a lot of his videos, whenever I am in the car playing along to, like, air drumming, that's my snare sound that, like, speaks to me more than any other snare sound. I know I shouldn't say this because I (laughs) work with big, fat snare drum. Oh, no. I also want to say, and I know you are endorsed by Vic Firth, so you won't be able to you won't be able to agree with me right now, but I know the Marco Miniman uh, Pro Mark signature stick used to be one of my uh, I always had a few of those in my bag. Mm-hmm. It just it feels good. That stick feels really good.:
1: Yeah, I've never tried it. Um, but I'm sure it's awesome. Is it smaller or longer?
0: I think it's pretty standard. standard. I think it's like a five a. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's longer than most sticks. It uh, it's it, it's got the uh, what do you call it like the barrel tip, like the more like the circular tip. Yeah. Um. And uh, it's yeah, it just feels really good for That's kind awesome. of like medium. You know, I've played with Eve six. It's it can get powerful, but it's not crazy. I mean, kind of like his his playing. He's not a powerhouse, but he has finesse. So it kind of meets both worlds.
1: Yeah. He he keeps the wow. power and the double kick. Mostly. Everything else is, like, very delicate but also hard-hitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting dude. I got to see um, The Aristocrats one time in Boston, and that was honestly not the best show just because of the venue it was at, but he was very, very mm. fun to watch. I think he played, like, a 25-minute solo. I'm not even exaggerating when I say that. And he'd
0: be one of the drummers that you'd be okay with that.
1: Yeah. It, and he gets very funny with it. Like it's, it's very interactive, but yeah. He, yes. There's a lot, a lot to learn just in a, a moment of listening to him. And he kind of reminds me of like Carter Beaufort and Tim Alexander. And I'm very into mm. that style as well. I just happen to want my playing to relate most to Marco's. But, mm-hmm. yeah, pulling from all those, like, little bells and busy hi-hats, it's so it's such a fun-sounding way to play.
0: What was the venue, if you don't mind me asking?
1: It was the Middle East downstairs in Boston. <laughs> I knew
0: you were going to say that. I <gasps> oh knew you were going to say that. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, wow. Oh, that... You're
0: like, it's a good drum solo, but did someone just pee on me?
1: <laughs> oh, my God. That venue, like, God forbid, anything ever happened down there?
0: Oh yeah. What would
1: we all do? What would we do? We would be so screwed. Be screwed. Yeah, like it's just not set up well. I'm like kind of claustrophobic. You can't see the stage. I'm small. Like, I guess it's a bit of a vibe, but it it's not my favorite sounding. Um, I've played the Middle East upstairs a few times. That is great Mm. to play at. They do Mm -hmm. a great job of making it sound awesome and. A lot of people come to the show, but I'm not even sure if that venue is operating anymore after all this.
0: Yeah, it's just the, the smell of that place is lingers. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there's just not a lot of great, accessible, just like a tier below paradise type venues in Boston. Like, mm-hmm. I guess that is similar to the size of Brighton Music Hall. But yeah. I don't even really like Brighton Music Hall either. I'm I'm a huge fan of the Paradise Rock Club, and um, the Sinclair is awesome.
0: I haven't played either of those. I played Brighton, and that oh, has yeah. definitely higher ceilings, mm-hmm. and the green rooms nicer in that one. Oh, but uh, yeah, it's a
1: it's a good vibe. But when I played on stage, I felt like I couldn't see anybody in the audience, and like sure. all my friends were there, and I just couldn't see anybody. But also, they've got that weird setup where people can sort of stand behind you, like. It's all open on the side where it would usually be cut off. So, like, Mm -hmm. also they're not getting the best sound. I'm like, guys, move in front of the stage because it's not going to sound good on the side. But they didn't care. It's fine.
0: Was that with Weedis?
1: Yeah, that was with Weedis and Mike Doty. And they almost entirely operate from the monitors. Nothing. There's not much stage sound happening. The guitars... I was going to say, because... Yeah, yeah, everything is in the box, including the drums, except for the cymbals. <laughs> so, like, I don't know what they were hearing. And then for Mike Doty set, everything was hard panned, just like Ruby Vroom, the album. They tried to... Oh. Yeah, they tried to make it very That's similar. Cool. So... Who knows what they were hearing off on the side? I don't know.
0: <laughs> Your friends that don't know drums, they're like, is they're like, look, is Madden bad at drums? Yep. I don't hear cymbals. Exactly. Please, why'd we come? I know. Uh, the last thing I'll say about Marco is he helped me a lot with uh, like like a finger technique because he's he's really into kind of a I don't know a, a sedentary fulcrum and then just blah 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 um, yes. a lot. And yes. if you guys aren't watching this, I'm basically <laughs> French grip, you know, and that that whole thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's he's very powerful and consistent, um, using not so much his wrists, but incorporating his fingers, which is wish I was better at it. But I definitely when I do do it, it's because of Marco.
1: Yeah, he's re- he's really good at it. And everything's like right in the middle of the drum, even when he's just explaining like some timing thing. He's got his Drumeo video where he's talking about odd time, but then you just look at his hand technique. You're like, so what do I focus on timing or hand technique? Like there's just yeah. too much to grab here.
0: All I know is that whenever I watch Marco, I'm always in a better mood afterwards. Mm-hmm. Cause he's just, Such a fun guy. and there's that, uh, there's that dream theater, uh, audition he did which some could some say that it's like they already knew who they were going to pick it was kind of just a promo for those drummers but his audition they were just like laughing the whole time because you look over and marco's just like
1: (laughs) (laughs) having the best time yeah Yeah. definitely he's a good personality absolutely
0: uh all right number five and again i do know this gentleman uh it's ash soan and this is uh from a youtube video he did called ghost ship timeout Do you know if – is it like a a shed track thing he did or did he write this song or –
1: He posts like on YouTube every single day, which I feel like so few people do that anymore. He still treats – he treats YouTube like Instagram. He'll just put everything everywhere, which is awesome. But that must take so much time. Um, I think he does write his tracks. I know some of them are made to be shed tracks and backing tracks for drummers, but I'm not sure what he does with – all the little things that he writes maybe he gets them from other artists i'm not sure but this one was particularly cool
0: i'm just gonna play the whole thing because it's not super long
1: He is, like, just catapulted into my top favorite players, for sure. And it took me a while. Like, I had seen him, of course, all over the place the past two years. And my bandmate, Jordan, he would send me his videos all the time. He's like, oh, I don't know what it is about Sky, but it always just feels so good. And I was like, yeah. Like, I I had seen some of his videos where he has the GoPro strapped on his chest. And you see him, like, doing the shuffle and stuff. But... Lately, as I've gotten into the world of recording and mixing my drums, that's been like my whole journey the past year. That's all I've been focusing on. He is like my guiding light. What mm-hmm. He just sounds so crazy. First, the way he plays. His spacing is everything. He could do one little drag, drag tap, and it sounds better than I've ever heard before and could ever try and make it sound he just knows where to place notes to have it be most effective for the listener and whatever Mm. track he's serving and that's why he's like the session guy and then Mm -hmm. you get into the way his drums sound they sound perfect you know so i've been like trying to steal his micing techniques and see what mics he uses but i don't know how he gets that independence out of every single uh like close mic he uses I agree. It sounds crazy. It sounds like he's manipulating the shit out of everything, but he probably just knows how to tune his drums and get that sound and put whatever like thing on the master bus that makes it all like warm. It's just so cool.
0: Yeah. That intro fill that he does is a perfect example of how clean he is because even if you're doing and I know you've talked about this with James Murphy and the glue method and doing certain stickings, but you know, going from 32nd notes to 16th note triplets to 8th notes and whatever Sometimes you can still tell if someone's like, oh, they learned that lick in this subdivision because they kind of accent in a weird way every four, you know, groupings. But with him, when he starts, th- I mean, he starts a lot of songs with these crazy fills. You really have no idea. Is he like, you don't know the tempo of the song because he's so clean across the board that, I mean, you don't know where his kind of head's at. And yeah, I Especially mean. Especially
1: with all those delays he has going. Yes. He loves yeah. that. Yeah.
0: In that song, I almost wonder if I'm not sure if you've done this. I haven't, but I know people do. They take their the audio from their bass drum track and convert it into MIDI, like afterwards. Okay. Mike Dawson's talked about it, so that basically you can make whatever bass um, bass sound or synth you're doing match up perfectly with your bass drum, and then you can take out certain. You know, you don't have to have every bass drum hit be a MIDI note. You can take it out, so it sounds like boom, 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 boom. It almost sounds like that's what he's doing here, be, because it's so perfect. Especially that first fill when he goes the da 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 da, ba, boom boom boop da.
1: All I have to say I'm is like, thank you. I will <laughs> surely be trying that. That is. F- yeah, it, it makes cool. you
0: and your bass player that doesn't exist sound like you're locked exactly.
1: in. Exactly, I could just become more of my one woman band down here. I don't need anybody. Exactly, let's go.
0: <laughs> Making you more antisocial. This is exactly. great.
1: Exactly, as if quarantine yeah. hasn't done that enough.
0: um so yeah but if he doesn't do that it just means he's that locked into the track yeah yeah. wow in this one in this one specifically he also shows how it doesn't seem like he ever goes on autopilot Mm. his every every hit especially with the hi-hat on this one he's not just playing sometimes he's doing the charlie watts lifted up when the backbeat happens Mm -hmm. or he'll stop for a few and then just do them by himself but it's not distracting
1: that's true. That's a really good point that he's not on autopilot. He's always thinking about his next move and he's very involved in whatever's ha- whatever's happening. And you could just see it on his face, you know? He mm-hmm. looks like he's having a blast. He's not like, oh my God, this is the 40th take of this thing that I've completely worked out but I just can't play it. And maybe that's like a, a good thing to keep in mind. Don't go on autopilot or mm-hmm. don't be so like pre meditated with your playing, you know, just let it flow out of you whatever reaction you have to the track. Try and channel that because that's what gets an authentic sound like ashes.
0: Totally. Yeah. And a lot of people would be like, well, you don't want to be, you know, if you don't go on autopilot then you might add some more stuff. But what he does is he takes stuff away. True. So it's not like he's making it more busy because he's thinking about it. He just is like, well, the hi-hat doesn't need to be- like who Where in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution is to say that every once you start a hi hat on the eighth notes, the groove has to be that. And then you can dance the the bass drum around that. It's like, no,
1: it's just like, John, it's the same thing. It's like, what can I take away to then make this thing that was already there even more effective than it was before? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. So many cool ideas from all these drummers. It's too much.
0: I know, I know. Well, that's kind of why I did this, because half the time, like, I, I've learned, uh, I've found so many new, whether it's the flavor of the week or they become just on, in my Rolodex, but drummers like like Perrin, mm-hmm. I mean, if this podcast, if, if one day it gets down to just one person listens to it, I have a blast because I find drummers that I've never heard of before. So yeah. um yeah, that is the five. Did you have any honorable mentions that you didn't talk about that our discussion has made you be like, oh, I want to mention this this I, guy or gal?
1: Oh, there, there are so many. I mean, Sarah, uh, I hope I don't mispronounce her name, Sarah Thauer. Is that how you pronounce yes. it? Sarah mm-hmm. Drum Guru. She has been very inspirational lately. I've known about her for quite a while because I was a Watsky fan a couple years ago, Mm. and I know that she toured with him. I wish that happened on my tour. I don't think she was playing then, but Mm. she is so funny and so fun and such a ridiculous chopper and just also not pre-calculated, you know? It just sounds like she is on the spot doing whatever feels the coolest in that moment. Uh, And I think that really transcends with people. Um,
0: Well, she was actually on the podcast doing the top five, ah. uh, maybe a month and a half ago, two months ago. And she talks about that, how her Zildjian live performance, I asked her how she prepared for it, for it. And Mm -hmm. she's just like, "I, I, I never try and go into a session or anything with a preconceived notion, because then you think about adding that thing that the night before, you're like, oh, I'm going to do this fill, and you're trying to find a way to fit that when it it might not ever fit. So if that's how you perceived her playing, that is how she approaches it. She said it verbatim.
1: That is very much how I don't operate when I'm in Mm. the studio because that'll like give me anxiety, I feel like, if I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. But I guess it depends on what setting I'm in. You know? Mm. Like with the Space Young stuff, I know... I'm going to want the record to sound like this, but I do channel that when I'm just playing by myself and I'm doing sessions on my own and recording myself and I definitely try and channel some of her her vibes into my playing because I think she's a beast. She is so dope.
0: And she's, yeah, and... uh she got me her her uh, questions literally right before we hopped on, mm-hmm. and so I actually didn't have any time to oh, uh, kind of prepare. Yeah, no, just, just to prepare. I mean, oh. We were able to play it, but I wasn't able to uh, prepare any follow up questions. So when I when I actually did it, um, I was hearing him for the first time because obviously her her choices were were very uh, I guess I would say worldly and mm-hmm. the things that I hadn't heard before because her. She has a lot of Indian influences, and uh, mm-hmm. it's, it was really cool. It, it was a great podcast if you guys oh, want to I got check that
1: out for sure. Um, yeah. That's interesting. You okay. kind of had to follow her mindset of not going into anything with any preconceived <laughs> notion. You just kind of have was, to see what happens. She forced me, yeah. Exactly. Maybe
0: that was so, yeah, she read like Some the Moloch. Art of the Deal or something before we exactly. signed on.
1: <laughs> um, maybe yeah. another mention would be Dan Mayo. I am sure. very, very into him. He is quite unique. He is a uh, also somebody that I've been interested in in a, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I who doesn't want to sound like him, you know?
0: Him and Brody are like the poster boys for ANF yeah, drums. Totally. They just like you wanna sound like exactly like them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that little tiny little well, like I wouldn't say popcorn, but that kind of
1: something. Yeah. Yeah, so
0: fun. Yeah, and he always plays in a warehouse, and it's just like everyone. Every drummer's dream is to be in like an airplane hangar or a warehouse and play a really tightly tuned drum set. Yeah, that's kind of like my, you know,
1: God, you, my mecca. You just watch people like that, and you're like, Do you ever make a mistake? Do you ever <laughs> not sound this on the grid? Because I'm getting upset watching you. It's like <laughs> this isn't normal.
0: I could say the same about you, Madden. So, well, I mean, I guess the grass is always greener.
1: You <laughs> should see the 40 takes before I finally get it. There, You know, oh. I, I'm always working on my placement on the grid. That's something that I've been too focused on the past few months. But it is really important to get that sound you want. You know, if you want to sound like a gospel player, they are so on the grid, it hurts, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. just a millisecond makes all the difference in the world. And I feel like Dan Mayo is just, if you watch some of his solos that he's done with Meinl, you're like, what is this guy on? Seriously, coming <laughs> yeah, up with exactly. all these crazy ideas, but sounding so calculated at the same time. He's super cool.
0: I, uh, I would love to have him on because I echo everything we you just said. We want
1: to hear from you, Dan.
0: Well, did you have any specific, I know you just said you uh, finished the new, uh, the Space Junkers Forever, would it yes. be a full uh, LP, EP? It will be,
1: very, yes, nice. it's going to be a, a full length, very, very stoked, it's definitely the most polished we've ever sounded, The we took the process really, really seriously, and we still are, so I think we could expect that to come out in like, what is it, February, sometime early May or at the latest June so
0: that's awesome. yeah
1: very excited for that um, Robbie and the Houseplants we're still working on things and we're gearing towards making an EP over the summer and uh, I'm a part of a new project called Mages where I channel a lot of my influences because it is my most recent collaboration so mm-hmm. all of my other stuff I've sort of Develop my sound in that, but this one was very open to me, just like figuring out what I what voice I wanted to have on this group, and it mm-hmm. is very synth based and like it's modular. Um, that is with my friend Tom Benson, who did front of house for Weedus, and Matthew Milligan, who plays bass for Weedus. It's a trio, and
0: he's a great bass player. He's awesome. I've, yeah. yeah, I've seen you tag him a lot on stuff you've done. He is insane. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, playing that giant. Carl Thompson base.
0: Exactly. Yeah. How do you spell mages, by the way? Because, I mean, I'll, I'll tag it. I'm sure people can find it on your Instagram. But someone just driving in the car, and they hopefully pull over and then want to follow mages. What uh, so, How do they find you guys?
1: It's funny. It's spelled M-A-E-G-E-S. But we use that, I don't even know how you'd call it, that weird combined A and E that you might find in your keyboard. Sure, key sure, board.
0: sure. Yep.
1: But, yeah, if you just type that in, that would be there. That's a really... Okay fun one. Um, also, recently, I played on Mike Doty's record, his new project called Ghost of Room. That's with Mike and Andrew Scrap Livingston. And it's a small EP, three song EP. And there is more stuff coming in the future. So check that out.
0: And you're still in school, um, but remotely, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You did not go back to because I know a last time we talked, which I think was mid uh, summer last year, you were debating if if you couldn't play your drums, you you wouldn't go back. Right. So.
1: so I remember I told you on that podcast that Berkeley was going to be open for the fall, but then they were not. So now they are finally open, and I did not choose to go back because I'm I just got this big room. How could I leave this big yeah, room? It's so fun. fun. I can be very productive and in my own space here. And Pretty much zero of my friends went back because they're on to greater life endeavors. At this point, we've all sort of been forced to get our lives started and not wait until school's over. So a lot of them we're all spread out at this point um, and all doing the online thing. But I don't mind it. I'm still getting a really great education and I'm able to apply it where I am.
0: Is this your last semester or do you have one more?
1: I think I have two more. I am like...
0: Okay, I won't bring it up. (laughs)
1: I'm slowly trailing behind just because I I took that year off in 2019. But then I started taking summer courses to make up for it. But I couldn't bear to pack in like 17 credits like I normally would in a full semester. So the summer is only 12 weeks. A full semester is 16. So I was like, I can't pack in like, like 16, 17 credits in this time. And it's summer. Who wants to do that? So I've taken a bunch of like part-time semesters or just over full-time. And then online, I can't bear to sit in front of my screen for more than two hours a day. So I am slowly getting there. I just am having trouble, you know, like densely packing my semester. So I'll get there.
0: Well, I would say if you zoom out, I would not say you're behind. I'd say you're eons ahead of most, (laughs) most players. Uh alive today so
1: oh thank you so much
0: keep it up and thanks for being on the show again i was so sad that we kind of switched over to the big fat five like right after i had you on and so i've been meaning to get get you back on uh because i'm i'm really excited we did this yeah i
1: appreciate it this is a fun conversation got got me very inspired honestly a lot of a lot of good ideas in this one
0: well have a great day and i will talk to you soon
1: yeah you too bye ben
0: all right bye and that's the show be sure to subscribe and if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews do that it helps more people find the show which means the show will get better and bigger and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day but you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends um, anyways also why don't you go ahead and check out drum.com and follow us on Instagram Facebook Twitter and all the socials just search for at Big Fat Drum and you will find it this show is edited in part using Isotope RX8 audio editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at isotope.com. Bye.